right. Uh, First Kings chapter 18, I'll read from, from verse 43 to 46. Uh, this was the story of Elijah and Ahab after Elijah just, you know, dealt with the prophets of, of, of Baal. And then he went on Mount Carmel and um, he, the Bible says he took a position that looked like the position of a praying man. Put his head, you know, um, in between his legs and, you know, started to pray. And in verse 43 here, and he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. Now the servant Elijah was actually praying about God sending rain. Before this time, there's been a drought, you know, in the land. There was no rain, you know. So Elijah was, uh, at this time, trusting God for rain and praying. And sent his, his, his servant. And the servant went and came back and um, said, the, the, there was nothing. Elijah was sending this guy to, to check out the, the, the sky, to check out the cloud. And if you remember, uh, my first message in this series was about vision. I'm going to continue on that, um, you know, uh, on Sunday, by the grace of God. Uh, but I said that uh, speed should not just be for the sake of speed. There's something to run with, and it's called vision. And when you look at this passage of the scripture, uh, it's Father buttresses that in the sense that we don't run anyhow in the kingdom of God. We run with, you know, divinely granted images. God is always in the habit of showing signs and painting pictures. I remember saying that vision is simply put a mental picture of a preferable future. And when it comes from the heart of God into your heart and mind, then it becomes becomes a mandate. It's not just an ambition. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Then it becomes a mandate. It means that God wants to achieve something and he wants to achieve that through your life. So here, Elijah sent his, his servant and said, uh, go look at the sky. Check out, you know, whether you can see the cloud. Because the moment we see the cloud, we have to start running. Is somebody still with me tonight? I said, are you still with me tonight? Uh, then it came to pass it came to pass the seventh time, the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. I read on. Now it happens, it happened in the meantime that the sky became black. Just within a short period of time. A servant of the man of God came and said, I saw, you know, cloud the size of a man's hand. And while Elijah was speaking and saying, you go tell Ahab, wanted to give an instruction to Ahab, within that short period of time, that cloud the size of a man's hand became a full cloud. I hope you're getting along with me tonight. The Bible says, uh, now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind. And there was a heavy rain. So, Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. And he gathered up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. The Lord bless the reading of his word. The hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. As I have opportunity in the course of the month, I'm going to expand more on this. Elijah happened to be a man that was walking with God, in partnership with God. One of these Sundays, I'm going to talk about that, how to gain speed when you come into partnership with God. So what happened to Elijah here was not uh, um, just something that happened you know, by happenstance. God was involved. You see, what happened here, a man went on a chariot. In the days of Elijah, a chariot is what you, what you can compare with maybe a motor car today. So, here I've been the king, had a chariot to ride on. Elijah said, look, we need to get to the gate of Jezreel before this rain will, will, will take over and we will not be able to move. Elijah did not join Ahab's chariot. 
The Bible did not account that Ahab's chariot could only take one person. I, I figured that Elijah knew God was up to something. To just show that when the scripture says the, the harm of flesh will fail you, and woe unto him that lean on the harm of flesh. Ahab went, you know, on the chariot. And the chariot there simply talks about, you know, things that people leverage on in the natural. You see, when the hand of God is upon a man, it's not just about the things you can leverage on in the natural. Now, I reckon with the fact that some of us here, you have very fantastic relationships. So when it comes to business, you have, you know, relationships you can leverage on and gain speed. And things will happen. But the kind of speed we're talking about, when God is involved, God does not need your long leg. Are you still with me tonight? Uh, God doesn't need so much of the, your own relationships. Because a lot of the time, we put our minds on those things and uh, they stop us from being able to see God's own plans. Because God's own plans will always be more powerful. And in, in its effect, it will always supersede the plans of man and the things that we can leverage on naturally. So Ahab got into his chariot and he moved. Elijah, not wanting to lean on the harm of flesh, because if you understand, it wasn't like they really had a good relationship anyway. Ahab, Ahab all, I mean, all through these first kings and the experiences with Elijah represented flesh. I hope you understand what I'm saying. He had a wife called Jezebel, who in subsequent chapters after now, if you're, if you're a student of the Bible and you've read 1 Kings very well, you realize that they started to give Elijah problems. But I want you to follow me very carefully tonight. Instead of Elijah getting on the Ahab's chariot, Elijah ran. And the Bible says the hand of the Lord came upon him. Someone here tonight, as you start to run, the hand of God will come upon you. Because someone may have been asking, so where is the hand of God on my life? Maybe because you are not running. Maybe because you are not running. Because as you start to run, then you begin to see the hand of God coming upon your life. Elijah started to run. The hand of God came upon him. And the Bible says, he outran the chariots of Ahab. That, 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 that wasn't ordinary by any stroke of chance. He outran a man that has, you know, an advantage, something to leverage on, some kind of, you know, machine, some kind of structure that has been put in place for the man to leverage on. But when the God of speed put his hand on Elijah, a man that has, you know, learned how to partner with God, speed came upon his life. Somebody's experiencing speed in this season. Amen. I'll say it better, amen. amen. My candid encouragement tonight, so getting to the meat of this message, is that someone here, you need to get your vision in right, if I can put it that way. You need to get your vision in right. The things God wants to do in your life, it will require that you start to run right now. And it's not just that you should start to run. You need to know that you're going far. While we prayed here last Wednesday, I think I was sharing, I don't know who I was sharing, whether I was Pity or my wife, you know, afterwards. How God started to stir my heart about, you know, global ministry, especially on the, on the media space. When God, you know, starts to show you things about yourself, and by the way, if God is speaking to your pastor about global ministry, it means that you are going global also. Well, some unbelievers are here tonight. How many believers are here tonight? <laughs> if you believe, say a big amen. Yeah. I said you are going global. Yeah. I say better amen. Yeah. Someone here, you've never hand in hard currency before. Before the end of this year, you start to hand in hard currency. Yeah. Now you're getting what I'm saying. Because some people thought I was saying that they would just put flags or countries in front of your shop. No. <laughs> no some people package uh, flags of countries. Uh, but yet, nothing. There's nothing global about them. They don't know them in Benin Republic. <laughs> but I'm talking about <laughs> God, you know, coming into your life in a new dimension. 
that what you taught will only be able to serve just the city of Lagos. We start serving 20 states of Nigeria. And then before you know it, you're getting into Accra, Ghana. Before you know it, you're getting to, you know, Benin Republic. Before you know it, you're opening an outlet in London, England. Too many unbelievers in the service tonight. <laughs> Praise God. All right, I know some of the things I'm saying tonight, they may sound too far-fetched for you. All I need from you is just for you to be able to open your mouth and say amen. Don't think. <laughs> praise God. I said praise God. So we need to get our vision in right. Elijah, all he wanted, all he wanted to see was for the man to say something small. He doesn't have to look like it. I saw cloud like the size of a man's hand. If it was some people here, you go back to praying and put, put your head, you know, in, uh, in between your leg like Elijah. The, he changed his positioning. The moment his, the, the servant came and said, I saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. That was enough for him. All he wanted was a little confirmation. And why they spoke, everything changed. The God of speed set in. And instead of a cloud the size of a man's hand, the whole place became dark with, you know, heavy cloud. Someone here tonight is about to reign over your life. And I can't get my mind off it. Someone here is going global. You know, last Wednesday we were here in the service when the sister shared a testimony about a job that she didn't apply for. Am I saying the trauma many of us were here? A job she didn't apply for, that she didn't, you know, uh, know anybody, you know, multinational, you know, corporation, and she was sitting down in her own office. And she said, she came into a service like this a few weeks or a few months ago, and I said something while we prayed, that I said, some of you, your destiny is outside of the country, and that I will pray you out, that I don't mind losing members for you to be in the place of your assignment. Am I saying the truth? Well, the truth is that we're not losing members. We have members in diaspora. Yeah. Because in this day of internet, I mean, many people call me on the phone. Oh, Pastor, I just finished watching service. I'll, I'll, I'll get out of the service on Sunday and somebody will call me from Canada. I just finished watching service. That was powerful. You know? And then they also send their offerings. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Some of them are watching us tonight. So we're not praying you out of church. We're praying you into destiny. And I know uh, uh, if you're here last Wednesday, she made reference to the fact that you have prayed me out. Because the job she got, which obviously is going to, you know, I mean, she said this multiples of her salary and many benefits and all that happened to be a job outside the country. Right from here. And she just couldn't get her mind off that one word of then. That's why I, I want you to take what you hear in the presence of God very seriously. And let your faith, you know, let your faith lose to believe. Praise God. I said, praise God. What you are seeing is very important because it determines how long you have to run and what kind of speed you must embrace so that you won't get that, you know, it won't take you too long to get there. And as we run towards our visions in life, if we will be like Elijah, the man that walked with God, and the, the hand of God rests upon him, and despite the fact that this other guy had structures around him, things to leverage on, Elijah was able to, you know, outrun him and got into the place of destiny, we need to be aware that the enemy wants to put speed breakers in our part, as we go, we need to be aware of that. So I, I'll just, the first phase of my message is just to prophesy, all right? Let, let's get into the real message. I, I just want to share, you know, a few things tonight in the little time I have left. Some of those speed breakers that we 
need to be aware of and gain an understanding so that when we, when we even see them from afar, we understand what they have. The first one I'd like to share tonight is about relationships in business, especially in career, and in life generally. The Bible says one which is a thousand and two ten thousand. That means God has ordained that providential help will come when there's accuracy in partnership. Are, are, you, are you following me carefully? Yeah. How we gain such amount of leverage of the power of God in partnership, I cannot explain it. I think it's just, it's just according to God's sovereign power. One which is a thousand, two ten thousand. In the last um, decade, there was a wave of mergers and acquisition in the business world in the 90s. To the end that it became a big deal in most business schools. It was, was I mean, a major course of study. And some people now are now experts in mergers and acquisition. But there was a wave in the 90s that took many companies global, you know, made them increase their strength. I can go on and on and on. You know, many companies that rode on that wave. And some of them, if they did not ride that wave, maybe they wouldn't be in existence today. And, you know, since then, and studying mergers and acquisitions over the time, I've realized that there's something about it that is not ordinary. Yeah. God invests, you know, providential power into synergy. Synergy is not ordinary. It's just, the Bible says, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He said, God commands his blessing there. Wherever you see unity, you know, synergy, the power of God is made, made present there. That's why God says, you know, whatsoever two of you shall agree upon here on earth, he said, it shall be done for you because there's power in synergy. There's power in agreement. And for us to gain speed in life, we must get our synergy right. We must, we must get the, the power of agreement right. Therefore, it's, it's, it's a, a speed breaker when you get your synergy wrong. When you get your partnership drive wrong. It breaks your speed. The same way it brings speed into your life, multiplication into your life, according to the word of God, when you get it wrong, it can also break your speed. Can also break your speed. So wrong relationships in life generally, in business, in career, can be likened to the relationship between Abraham and Lot. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, after God spoke to Abraham, and the Bible says in verse 4, Abraham departed and Lot went along with him. Lot went along with him. Yeah? So Abraham departed as the Lord has spoken to him, and Lot went with him. There are certain lots that are not supposed to go with you. Because they're going to constitute a speed breaker for you in destiny. And the reason why I'm emphasizing on this tonight is that for some of us, beyond just praying in church, you need to get back to your closet and pray about this so that God will open your eyes to certain lots around you. In, um, I think that, that, that should be Genesis chapter 15 or so. Gen- no, Genesis 13, 14. The Bible says that God started to speak to Abraham. Was it 14, 13? Can, can you pull it up, please? God started to speak to Abraham. Yeah, 13, 14. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, from him lift your eyes now. Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. And he said, as far as your eyes can see, I'll give you. Why? Because now there are no encumbrances around you. I can walk with you better now. So what am I saying? If you need to see better, 
If you're trusting God for new ideas, new visions, new dreams. Because you need vision to be able to run with God accurately. So you don't run anyhow. You must be seeing something. And you are better positioned to see something well when you don't have lots around you. Because lots, they see with the eyes of the physical. When Abraham, after, when Abraham was going to separate from Lot, you know what happened now? Abraham told Lot, said, this is where God has positioned us. So let's separate. So you choose your own. Choose. And the Bible says, Lot chose based on, so the place that seemed to be very green and luscious, Lot chose those ones. Because Lot's, they see only from the physical. That's why they're dangerous around you if you're going to walk with God. So, Lord chose those places that were, that looked good in the physical. And you know what those places turned to eventually. If not for the God of covenant that said, I can't do this and I will hide it from Abraham, my servant. And then it was the same Abraham that God had to go and meet to say, get down to Sodom. Talk to your, your, your you know, your brother, whatever, I, I, I'm going to, you know, destroy this place. And Abraham had to beg. God, negotiation, intercession. Uh, if you have uh, 50 people there, we used to destroy. If you have, if you have, if you have, until 10. And it got to a point, Abraham left it. God had to, you know, you know the story, send those angels to go and rescue Lot and his family, just because of Abraham. If Abraham were to be like Lot, both of them would have perished. But Abraham walked with God. The Bible says God multiplied him a thousand times more, simply because he didn't have that encumbrance of Lot. Another way you can check it out is when you get to when you check Jonah chapter one. The man Jonah. See, Lots and Jonas are dangerous people. If you have people bearing that name in the physical, don't judge them by physical name. All right? Even though sometimes it's bad to be bearing some scriptural names that didn't work in the Bible. Why not choose the ones that worked well? (laughs) So, when you have people like, take it figuratively, Lot's and Jonah's, they constitute speed breakers in destiny. In Jonah chapter 1, the Bible says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, go to Nineveh. Jonah, the son of Amittai. He said, go to Nineveh. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up to me. But look at verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to stashes from the presence of the Lord. And look at this. Look at this. From there. The Bible scholar once pointed this, this out. He went down. You see, whenever somebody turns away from where God says you should go, you'll be going down. So, <laughs> he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tashish. He paid the fare and went down Anyone that is running away from the presence of God will always be going down. Jonah went down, I mean, figuratively, you see, they went down, went down to the part of the ship. But he joined the ship. May Jonah not join your ship. Because if a, if a Jonah is found in your ship, whether it's relationship or companionship, Whatever kind of ship. Even friendship is not very good with a Jonah. Because the problem with having a Jonah as a friend is that you will follow him to Tashish. In the name of hanging out. And you know in Lagos we like to hang out. Especially in this part of the city. People love to hang out. Some people are already hanging out with Jonas. That's why I'm preaching this message. So that you won't come back and say, they said it's time for speed, and I didn't see speed. You can't see speed with a Jonah hanging around your destiny. 
That ship started to experience turbulence. And if you have flown in an aircraft before, then you know that turbulence is not good, whether on the sea or in the air. Not even on the road. That ship started to experience troubles. And they started to fret, you know, and all that. Until they discovered when even your own spirit is becoming agitated about this person, they are comfortable. They just want you to continue. Somebody who is out of sync with God, who is out of destiny, but yet had enough peace of mind to be sleeping. And then they got to a point they had to accost him. You know, in, in a verse there, it was Jonah himself that spoke to them. I think in verse 10 or so. You know what? Just cast me out into the sea. And it's one thing I love about that particular Jonah. Not all Jonas are like that. But that particular Jonah was that he said the truth. Now that you have caught me, there will be no problem. There's no other place to put me. It's in the sea. Throw me there. Because for some people here, and I'm speaking by the Spirit of God right now, someone here, you are carrying a Jonah, and you are carrying that Jonah because of sentiment. Because there's no place to put the Jonah. We're on the high sea. Say, how can I just throw into the sea? Let's get to the land together. Both of you may not make it to the land. Jonah knew that, look, uh, my case is different. So that I won't cause irredeemable trouble for you. Fatal issues. Throw me into the water. Leave me and God. That's a sincere Jonah. Not many people are fortunate to have sincere Jonas. Because some Jonas will make their case to say, can't you see? There's no place to put me here. Now you now want to drop me inside water. Are we not friends? We're on the same ship now. Friendship. Some, some people will claim it is a relationship now. You can't drop me here. Now, here in my spirit, what God is saying tonight is drop your Jonah before it's too late. You can't gain any speed that way. This is a very sincere Jonah. Just throw me into the water. Leave me in the hands of God. And you know what? When you become bold enough to drop your Jonah. Be assured that you are dropping them into the hand of their God. God will take care of them. Because a lot of the time, sentiment, sentiment. And you know what? I'm sorry to say, but the sincere truth is that we Africans are very sentimental. Yeah. Our sentiment follows us to many things. Africans are known for overparenting because of sentiment. Somebody who is almost 30, you are still saying, ah, he doesn't have any place to stay. Let him stay in my house. That's the father. Stay in this house. How can a 30-year-old man be living in his father's house? That's why a lot of young men today are experiencing what they call failure to thrive syndrome. It's meant for babies. It's a, I think it's a neonatal term. It's meant for, but in adulthood, some people are still experiencing Failure to thrive syndrome. Why? Because when you're supposed to slug it out, when men are showing up, somebody's overindulging you because of sentiment. When there are women of your age already building a house, you're staying in your father's house. <laughs> that was below the belt. I know, I know. <laughs> Glory to God. We're coming to a time where we need to deal with our sentiments. I think it was Brian I was sharing with uh, Brian Tracy. We were talking over lunch on Sunday. And um, my pastor asked him a question. Uh, it was my pastor and him, you know, uh, having lunch, and my pastor asked him a question about 
you know, this. How do you know when you have hired well and when you have made a mistake in hiring and stuff like that? So we're talking about hiring and hiring well. And it was just doling out some principles on hiring. And he said one thing that will not leave me in a hurry. He said, you don't have to be sentimental. He said, any time you realize that you have made a mistake in hiring and you refuse to let the person go. He said, what you are saying is you want to die for the person. He said, why? And said, so we all, you know, we started and said, why? He said, whenever you are becoming sentimental about someone, always ask yourself the question, am I willing to give my life for this person? He said, if your answer is no, let the person go. He said, if your answer, if you are undecided, your answer is already no. I mean, it's already yes. Why? He said, because when you get to your office in the morning and you have to do the work that's meant for someone else and you are indulging the person, you're already dying for the person. Because stress reduces the length of your life. So you donate one day, two days, three days, four days, and it's because you are sentimental. And you know, when... um, in leadership, when I teach leadership development, especially in, in organizations, I say this. You know, now I'm becoming bolder to teach it in church. But in organization, I say this, that someone that you are developing, eh, that you are supposed to train and develop, is it that the person is um, trainable? person is not trainable, it must be transferable. If it's not transferable, it must be fireable. There are only three types of people. A trainable person, a transferable person, and a fireable person. <laughs> and if, if the person is not the first two, then it must be the last one. I'm saying the truth. That's how it works. If somebody is not pulling his weight, that the person is transferable, you can move the person to another place. Or the person needs some more training to come up to speed. If those two will not work, it's fireable. person is not fireable, all of you will soon be fired because the company will go down. <laughs> is somebody hearing me? I said, are you hearing me? And that's how it works in life and in many other areas, even beyond uh, uh, the place of business and work. Can you tap your neighbor for me? Any Jonah around? But if I say, Jonah around, then you should leave this service tonight and tell yourself the hardcore truth and I cannot continue to keep a Jonah in my boat. We don't make speed for destiny in that mode. That's a speed breaker mode when you allow a Jonah to loiter around your destiny. Is somebody still here? Said, is somebody still here? All right, let me do one or two more and then we close. Secondly tonight, Big speed breaker in destiny is procrastination. Procrastination. I've talked about wrong relationships. Procrastination. Procrastination. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, when you read from verse 4 to 6, it said, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the cloud will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with a child. So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Now, the writer of this passage is asking for repeated action. So in the next verse, it says, In the morning sow your seed. In the evening do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper. Either this or that. Whether both alike will be good. As good as planning is, when you hear someone who is always planning to, very soon the person will get a PhD in planning to. Because some people are just, you know, I'm planning to marry. How long really does it take to, to plan to propose to a sister? Truly and truly. Because some people, anything you ask them, 
they are planning to do it. And it's always, you know, procrastination upon procrastination upon procrastination. This is June 2014, the year of our Lord. Some, <laughs> somebody is here tonight who has been planning since January to pick up a form and enroll for a training and you are still planning. There's no planning that is involved. Just go to where they sell the form. Pick it up. Fill it right there and then. Ask for which amount to pay. Pay! And let time and chance happen to you. Because the Bible says the race is not to the swift. The battle is not to the strong. But time and chance happen to them all. It says being at the right place at the right time. Procrastination is that which takes you away from the right place at the right time. Because while you are, you know, it's like a, a hunter in the bush. You saw a rabbit. Eh? Rabbit. <laughs> I will shoot it. <laughs> shoot! That's all we're saying. I'm speaking to a brother here tonight. Shoot. All the sisters are almost gone. I will, I will shoot, shoot now. They know themselves. And some of them will listen to this message. They are not here. I'm praying over their destiny that they will shoot. Because when you, you know, it's just like uh, somebody who carried, you know, a gun. You're looking at a, at a game and you say, aim, aim. Before you say shoot, the thing has gone. Another one gone. Aim, aim. You know. We do it in business, we do it in career, we do it in marriage, we do it, you know, just pushing things and pushing things. And until you take action, like Elijah, from the scripture we read in 1 Kings 18, where it's when you start to run that the hand of God comes upon you for speed. Not when you keep procrastinating, I'll do it today, I'll do it tomorrow. The Bible says, see that, one, this, this scripture, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11, verse 4, I think the Living Bible Translation said, he that waits for perfect condition will not get anything done. And so people are fond of waiting for perfect condition. That's why there's no speed. He that waits for a perfect condition said he will not get anything done. It reminds me of the story um, that I read many years ago, and lately I went back to read it again. It was about uh, one Dr. Gonzalez. This man happened to be a preacher. And he had a burning desire because he was touched. Those days, this was in the 1800s, he was touched about the educational situation in America. He lived in, in, in Chicago, in the state of Illinois. He was touched about the academic situation, you know, the fact that young people are not getting the best of education. They're not able to aspire as much. And he said there has to be a gap be, between you know, the people who have been able to get into real mainland universities and, uh, and people who are not doing anything with their life, that's where the concept of colleges of technology started from, Institute of Technology. That was the dream that the man had then. And he happened to be a preacher like myself. And the thing burned so much in his heart, he had always been saying that, you know, one of these days I'm going to, you know, I will. I will do this. You know, I will, I will do something about this situation. I will do something about this situation. But he had contemplated it so many times. One day, he told himself, enough is enough. Because there's power in the made-up mind. Yeah. There's power in the made-up mind. He said, enough is enough. I'm going to go to church tomorrow and preach a message. What I will do if I have a million dollars. That was the title of his message. See that statement that I made? If you Google it, you'll get the story. It's enough for you to get the story. That's how popular the story is, especially in, in, in cyberspace. Now, but those days was a really popular story. Dr. Gonzalez went to church. In fact, the story had it that, you know, those days they used to write their message in a sheet of paper and read that it was so much 
you know, in a hurry that he forgot his message at home. But because he carefully crafted it, and the thing had always been a burning desire in his heart, he still went ahead, remembered most of what he wrote down, and preached his message. But you know what happened? When you break the hold of procrastination over your destiny, there's a way God works around everything to make all things to work together for your good. There was a man called Philip D. Amon. Wealthy guy in the U.S. those days. Philip D. Amon happened to be in the service that day. Dr. Gonzalo spoke with passion about what he would do if he had a million dollars. Now, ladies and gentlemen, a million dollars is not one and sixty. Uh, of those days, it's not one and sixty million naira. I hope you understand what I'm saying. A million dollars in 1860 something is probably like a billion dollars of today. This guy stood, delivered this powerful message with the whole of his strength. And after the service, people came, moved by what he said. They were shaking his hands. We want to trust God with you. He gave you a million dollars. Some of them were saying, we believe you will do what you, would, what you said you would do. And a man was sitting at the back. Everyone had greeted him and left. Reverend, you did a good job. Nice message. Nice message. And then Philip D. Amon walked up to Dr. Gonzalez. He said, Dr. Gonzalez, I listened to your message. And I believe you, you will do what you said you would do. All that I will ask is that you pledge. You're going to spend five years at minimum to be the president of the institute because my name is Philip D. Amon. And tomorrow at noon, you get a check for $1 million. That was how <laughs> Amon Institute of Technology, which is now Illinois Institute of Technology, started back then. One of the foremost institutes of technology in the U.S. today. Raised, you know, many engineers and technicians working all around the world. There's power in the middle of mind. You don't even know the person that God is going to use to bring your dream to pass. All you need is just to be able to take action. Somebody say action. Take the first step. The first step for Dr. Gonzalez was to be able to say, let me even voice out what has always been in my heart. At least... To my congregation. But you know, there's a part of the story that I actually missed out. That was that Dr. Gonzalo was so passionate about this thing. He wrote those days they will go to the post office. If you have an ad bat, you will write it, pay for it, then you will put it in the, you know, was this Chicago was still a small city. Put it in the city's only newspaper. So he wrote two lines at uh, you know, Playmont uh, Church tomorrow. I will be speaking on what I will do if I have a million dollars. So come here, Dr. Gonzalo, speak. That was what Philip D. Amon saw that made him go to church. And he was there to listen to him. He took the first step. Then he took the second step, preach the message. And within 24 hours, what looked like a big deal was resolved. Somebody here, something has been resolved in your destiny. Say, believe in amen. amen. Something is being resolved in your destiny. Amen. In the precious name of Jesus. I'll take one more point and I'll close. And if I still have time, any of, of the switch events this month, I may be able to, you know, continue. Let me take the last one for tonight. Another speed breaker that you need to be careful about is what I call eating sins. Eating sins. You know why eating sins are dangerous? They make you a disconnected person. I'm going to explain what I mean. You see, we transgress. While I was teaching earlier this year, I was talking about for myself into three iniquities and transgression. <laughs> I mean, what I said has no theological foundation for your information. I was just talking based on how the words sounded or sounds. Uh, um, iniquity, I said, looks, sounded deeper than transgression. That to transgress means to cross over something, put your leg where you're not supposed to be. But iniquity sounded like something that is inside you and came from your family lineage. You know? 
And I said, whichever one it is. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. If you are not here, get the message. Uh, um, the atonement. That was the title of the message. The atonement. And listen to it. And I said, because of the chastisement of our peace that was laid upon him, our guilt, condemnation, and all that has been wiped, wiped away. That's why the scripture says, there's therefore now no more condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, with all that being in place, when you study and meditate on Isaiah 53 very well, you realize that there's no reason for hidden sins. If I ever transgress, I ask God for forgiveness and I receive forgiveness of sin. And I then stand against the devil and his wiles so that he won't put loads of condemnation and guilt on my heart because I believe I've been forgiven. And when I've been forgiven, then my responsibility is to repent. To repent means to turn 180 degrees. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I was going this direction before. I turned like this. This is 180. And then I walk in this direction. Some people say 360. It's not 360. If it's 360, you are coming back to where you... Because 360 is you come like this. And you're still going in the same direction. So don't forget, 180 degrees. Tap your neighbor, say 180. So you turn 180 degrees and face the other direction. That's what it means to repent. That's what God wants from us. But when you allow the devil to tempt you into hiding your sins, the Bible says, anyone that hides his sin will not prosper. But he that confess and forsake will obtain mercy. It brings you into a point where you are not able to travel light. See, and every statement I'm making tonight is reminding me of old messages. I preached a message last year titled Travel Light. And I remember saying that Nigerians are, in my language, they call them Eleru. We love to carry load, whether going or coming. Strange. <laughs> Some people, they are experts in load. Going, coming. Excess luggage. And it looks like it's reflecting in our spiritual lives also. Always willing to carry excess luggage. And yet, we want to make speed in destiny. The two cannot work together. You cannot see a man going to run sprint at the Olympics, and then he's dressing the way I'm dressing now. Left to a Nigerian man or African who will wear a barbaric at the Olympics. Even though that they have recommended what we should wear. Some people will go with barbariga and cap. I don't know how you want to run sprint with cap. You use one hand to hold. <laughs> too many, you know, too many things. And cumbrances. Cumbrances. And that's what eating sins do. They create encumbrances, things that will not allow you to move fast. When God says, don't commit adultery, it's not because he has a wife here that you sleep with. It's because of your own destiny. I hope I'm speaking to somebody. It's because of your own destiny. There's no... The magnitude of your sin will not change God. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Notwithstanding how big it is, God still remains God, and he remains a merciful God, a God of all grace. I hope you understand what I'm saying. We just need to be able to judge ourselves, to say, look, I cannot cover this thing. This thing will destroy my speed. That's what God, that's all that God wants. And then open up our hearts. To deal with guilt and condemnation. The moment, you know what happens to you emotionally and psychologically when you feel forgiven? You feel lighter. Am I saying the truth? That's the thing in the spirit. When you feel lighter in the spirit, you can hear God better. You can hear God clearly. You can gain speed for destiny. But when your heart is filled with condemnation and guilt and anxiety, you are not able to move the way you are supposed to move in God. And I said lastly that it brings disconnectedness. A man or a woman 
living in with hidden sins will soon come to a point where you become fully disconnected from what's happening around you. A good example of that is in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Especially when you read, read from verse 20 to 23. Joshua 7, 20 to 23. Joshua 7 has the story of Achan. Israel was having trouble. Then Joshua prayed, and God said, there is hidden sin in the camp. And then God directed Joshua, do this, do that, do that. Just go. You know, he, he was picking people until they got to Achan. God told him what to do until they got to Achan. When they got to Achan, hear what Achan said. Achan said, eh, I saw Babylonian garment. I saw gold. I saw... Achan was fully disconnected because of the hidden sin. What, did I, what do I mean by that? Achan forgot the fact that it, the Babylonian garment, he won't even be able to wear it to anywhere. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. How do you steal something that you can never use? Yet, you are keeping it and covering it. I, I, I don't know if you get what I'm saying. That's a disconnected person. He's not even thinking again. You live in Israel. Every child, every adult can recognize a Babylonian garment. And then you carried it. And you went to dig in the midst of your tent. And you buried it. What are you going to do with it? Is that a big question? You know the answer to it? The man is fully disconnected from the realities of life and destiny. When you see chronic sinners, that's how they live. You wonder, why is this person behaving like this? He's disconnected. And as believers, we must never allow the devil to get us to that point where we begin to do things that don't even make sense and we justify it. Because you, you, you're asking Ekan, Ekan, are you okay? You are not. Because I'm sure that was what people in his family would have been thinking. Ah, 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 ah. What is this? Why? Anytime somebody has to be asked why and he has no answer, that person is a disconnected person. Being disconnected from destiny, being disconnected from, you know, the vision of God for his or her life, just Existing, but no longer living. That's what happens when we allow the devil to lure us to his own thought 